Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Dynasty Bulls Podcast. Nick Hales of the Redskins Quiet there, and Joshua Johnson. Here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. All right, hosers, I want all 12 of us fighting for every meter on all three downs. We're going to make this a boxing day the Prime Minister will never forget. Okay. Uh, welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. Uh, we're hitting the NFC East today. Uh, with me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins, Wagner. And this show is especially fun for him because we get to talk about his Washington Redskins. Nick, how's it going today, buddy? Oh, doing great, Josh. I uh, can't wait for the draft next week. And on top of that, it's just a real exciting time to be part of the Dynasty Football Warehouse crew. But I'm sure you'll tell everybody about that in a minute. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, if you, if you, in case you didn't miss it, we've done a couple rookies extravaganza shows here in the last couple of weeks. We did one last Tuesday where we hit on most of the skill positions, uh, but only got to name our top ten wide receivers. So uh, me and Sir William Servey got together again yesterday and just did a, an hour wide receiver showcase show. Uh, had a lot of fun. Um, I had to yell at Bill a couple times because he's really – He's really a, a heightist. He only he only drafts people if they're a certain height. And uh, I, I, I tried to knock some sense in there, but I don't know if it helped. But anyway, the exciting news here at over at uh, DFW is uh, we are, are going premium. We're launching uh, insider memberships. You can get an insider membership and the 2015 rookie draft kit uh, for thirty dollars, and that covers you for the whole year. Um, Nick, I don't know if you opened that draft kit yet, but uh, the PDF of that is 120 pages. Uh, I I need to buy some time to sit down and read it, but it's it's amazing stuff, um, and I I look forward to just peeling through it this weekend here when I have some time because it's it's awesome. And Alan Satterley and a few other guys led the charge on that, so uh, make sure you check that out if you get this membership. It's it's awesome. You could also get just the insider membership for 25 or just the rookie guide for 10. You know, I understand a lot of a lot of you fantasy football players out there. This game is so huge nowadays, and I understand that not all of you will be able to sit down and research. So, I mean, even if you just need this rookie guy, this I mean, we they, they did so much so much work on it. It's just amazing stuff. So definitely check that out. DFW is uh is where dynasty football is a way of life. We you can help you dominate your league for just two dollars a month. The membership includes all access to our insider articles. Dynasty Redraft Daily IDP, which is basically going to work out to about a thousand articles per year. We're trying to hit a hit them on a three day per clip. Um, includes expert Dynasty rankings, updated monthly average draft position data, 2015 projections, in season weekly rankings, rookie film room, and just so much more. 24 access to DFW staff via email for roster advice. 
trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, commission assistance, advice, bylaws, scoring, and setting up new leagues on MLS. 2015 rookie guide, like I said, $10 a la carte or $5 when one bundled with the insider membership and you get that PDF emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more more players and top 10 IDP. All crisply summarized, keynotes every, on every player on their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, key college stats, 143, play, 143 skill position players, 106 pages of PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, and 100-plus hours of research and analysis boiled down for you. And so you're ready for the NFL draft enjoyment. Uh, combined recaps of all skill position players combined include the guide along with updates all after after the NFL draft and adjustments made through training camp and preseason. All three membership options will give you will get you entered into multiple DFW contests. Each purchase will get you entry into our raffle for a brand new iPad which will be given away at during the halftime of Super of the Super Bowl this year through a third party raffle software. You will get entry into DFW week one free roll at FanDuel or DraftKings where you can win where you will receive two hundred dollars to play there. You also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest over the course of the two thousand fifteen season where the last man standing will also get two hundred dollars. So you're gonna get a chance to get that money back plus more. That's just something that we launched over the weekend. We're really excited about it. And uh we I mean the we've pumped out so many articles since we've since we did this Saturday night and everything. It's just it really hitting home. The something that I got to take part in was the DFW Top Top Gun draft, where they gathered a dozen of us and had to do a rookie draft, and we broke down all of our picks. Uh, the first couple rounds of that are up, uh, and I was told round three will be up Thursday, and round four will be up tomorrow. Um, Nick, I don't know if you saw that, but I took your boy Mariota there in the second in that in that mock. So that was up yesterday, and uh, great reads, and you're getting. What you're getting with that is every paragraph is written about the player that we all picked, and it's just inside information, just right on the fly. You know how Sean Kirby feels about Sammy Coates. You know how how Bill Servi feels about David Johnson. You know it's just awesome, awesome stuff. So uh, Dan Dan Hines is going to be joining us here in about four minutes to talk about uh, a rookie that you might not know about, uh, but. Uh, before he joins us, Nick, why don't we just hit uh, one uh, one of our uh, dynasty trades here? The first one, um, this is a this is a doozy. Uh, uh, Odell Beckham and a fourth round. Excuse me, Odell. One team gave up Odell Beckham and a third and fourth round pick this year. Got Keenan Allen, Jordy Nelson and a 2015 second-round pick. What are your thoughts there, Nick? Um, I was a little bit surprised by the trade initially, but I believe both teams probably got what they wanted. I'm guessing the team that uh, unloaded Odell Beckham probably was looking for more depth at receiver, so they got that in Jordy Nelson, who's a top-ten guy, and Keenan Allen, who's a, also, you know, borderline wide receiver 2-3. Uh, it's a lot to give up. You know, Odell Beckham is uh, one of the top three receivers overall going in uh, dynasty startup drafts right now, but I think it was a fair trade for both sides. Yeah, you know, I just people are obviously going to try to maximize the value for Beckham this year. 
because of, you know, what he was able to do last year. And I, I just wonder, you know, he's going to see double coverage. He's going to see so much double coverage this year. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how he makes adjustments to that. I mean, Victor Cruz, who we'll talk about a little bit later, Nick, is going to just be running running free with his <laughs> with his bad knee. Uh, I, I just feel like teams are going to make that their top priority. So, Adam, I'm not saying sophomore slump. I know, I know he's a quality, gifted athlete, but I, I doubt he's going to produce those same type of numbers. And I know he missed four games and he still produced awesome numbers, but don't don't think that there's a trend starting there. So I want to remind everybody uh, that the chat room is up. I've been having computer issues over the last couple of months, but I I have the chat room up now and we do have somebody signed in. So if you want to you want to tell us where we're going wrong or just just chat or maybe something we could talk about. Jump on that chat room and uh, certainly uh, give us give us a drop us a line. Um, I I do like the side too that Scott Allen and Nelson. Um, you're also getting a couple picks. You didn't give up a second round pick. It, I guess it's it's pretty even. I just I I think in the short term the side that gets Allen and Nelson probably wins, but in the long term, you know, well, we all think Beckham's going to be a great receiver, so uh, I guess we'll see what happens there moving forward. So uh, the next one, Nick, um, somebody gave up the last pick. This is DFW 48, the last pick of the first round, so 1.48 for Eric Decker. I just don't know how I feel about that, Nick. Any, Any thoughts there? Well, I think it just depends on your strategy. If you're trying to win this year, then it's probably a good trade giving up the draft pick for a veteran guy like Eric Decker. Uh, Long term, though, I like the side to pick up the draft pick. You know, probably, you know, end of the first round, probably not a guy that's going to help you out immediately. But, you know, in year two, year three, that could really pan out a lot more than an Eric Decker would. Yeah, that's that's an interesting spin on it. But, you know, this, this class being so deep, at both running back and receiver, it's just you don't know who you know who's going to hit. You know, landing spot obviously is going to be huge, and how things are going to shuffle and injuries happen. I mean, you could get a you could get a great player there with that last pick. You know, even if you you know have a quarterback issue and you want to take Winston or Mariota there, I just, I, it's just yeah, I don't know. Huh? My Twitter's blowing up. I sent, I sent something to Sal Conti, another guy at DFW, who's going to be on next week about uh, Tyler Varga, fullback out of Yale, who he's really excited about. Apparently, there's a lot of comments going on about that. Um, but anyway, yeah, next week we have a pre-draft show, and then we have a show at, at the, almost at the end of the first round. So a couple more shows for you next week. Uh, we're going to have Eric Casillas joining us uh, right away on that show, and then our our own polling guard here at DFW Sal County is going to be stopping by to talk a little offensive lineman too, just to see who we think is going to go in the first round. But uh, like I promised, our good friend uh, Dynasty Dan is on the phone. So. We will patch him through as he tells us about a tight end here in the draft. And speaking of tight ends, Dan, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, you are you are just buttering me up already. How's it going? <laughs> oh, how we doing, guys? Good. Good. We're, we're doing good, except I forgot to play your intro music again. Um, That's all punish, right, man. Punish me later, and 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 I promise I'll I'll make up for it. <laughs> it's all good, man. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's tight end day today. It's a beautiful Minnesota day, and we're going to talk about tight ends. And uh, I'd like to preface 
by the way, how are you doing, Nick? Oh, doing great, Dan. How about yourself? Good, man. It's been a big week at DFW this week. I'd be remiss if I didn't at least say something about that. Um, you know, for those, I know you probably guys have touched on it already, but we did decide to uh, flip the switch and offer some premium insider memberships to our our loyal uh, our loyal DFW readers, and uh, we released the rookie guide and. Uh, things are going good. It's exciting. It's scary. It's uh, we're trying to take it to the next level, and so far the support has been really awesome. If you guys are, if anyone out there listening is hesitant to uh, invest in a DFW subscription, I can tell you you will not be disappointed. I mean, the content alone today is worth it. If you factor in, you're getting a 106-page rookie guide on top of it. But, I mean, we got just amazing breakdowns. Uh, this IDP Tears for Fears article is amazing. You can't get that content anyway, anywhere. Um, you know, Le'Veon Bell profiles, Michael Floyd profiles, that's just today. That's before noon, you know. It's just amazing. And we got your guys' pod, um, you know, the rookie guide. It's just uh, – sorry, I had to go into a shameless plug there. I've never plugged anything on your show oh. before, but I had to do it. And if and, and and if you guys you know if you're wondering where the money's going, it's going back into DFW. This is our passion. This is our you know this is our this is our baby. And uh, we want you know unfortunately, if we want to take this thing to the level we want it to, it's going to cost money. And uh, so we are you know we are looking at um, implementing all kinds of cool um, things. I don't want to go into them too much, but. Um, they're going to be kind of surprises, and some of them are going to be implemented right away, just due to the you know big success we've had coming right out of the gate. So, um, hopefully by season uh, start, you'll see some of those as well. So, if you're thinking about it and just want to support, you know, a great site and a great bunch of guys who bust their butt to put you in position to dominate every year, I can't think of a better way to spend twenty five, thirty bucks a year. So. Um, and like I said earlier, Dan, Dan, when I was promoting it, you know, yep. if you don't have time, like like us, to sit down and watch tape on all these rookies, that rookie guide is, is is there for you. You know, you just grab it, take it with you, put it on your phone. You can read it wherever you're at, and it's it's so good. I mean, I'm not. Well, it is it is so good. I, I'm so impressed with it. I'm so impressed with Alan and and his team over there that have put this together two years in a row. What I love, honestly, what I love most about it is there's no fluff. And when you're dealing with hundreds of rookies like they are, it's exactly what you need to know, good and bad. And it's all there right there for you. It's beautifully formatted. It's a beautiful layout. Um, it's easy to follow. You know, you can go invest in Waldman's, you know, dissertation, 10,000-page dissertation every year, but you got to go through 150 pages of, I don't even know, I've never read it, <laughs> um, 150 pages just to, uh, I was going to describe it, and then I'm like, oh, I've never read that, actually. I just scrolled through the first 150 pages to actually get to the rookie rankings and analysis and things like that, you know, and it's and it's like, yeah, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't got time for that, you know. And uh, you just want the, you want the meat and potatoes, and that's what it is. And it's super efficient, and it's it's really nice. So check that out uh, for sure. sure. Um, and in case yeah, you're wondering what exactly, 
Sure, I was going to say, just in case you're wondering what exactly we're all talking about, uh, if you're listening to this on Blog Talk Radio, there's a little tab that says DFW Membership Info. Click on it. It'll get you right to the article and get you right where you need to go with that. Go ahead, Dan. Awesome. Awesome. So let me preference tight ends by saying don't get too excited about tight ends. Okay, that's the best I can... It's the best I can advice I can give you. All right, there's always one or two that go far too early in every single draft. We're all chasing a Jimmy Graham or a Rob Gronkowski, but the reality is, is there's one of them or two of them, maybe every 10 years. And the, the reality is, is there's about 25 tight ends every year that are good enough to be a top 10, top 12 uh, tight end every single year. Um, There's a few that are better bets, and there's, you know, there's things you can do to increase your odds on some of these things. You can certainly do your dudes, and there are things to look for um, that can help increase this, your odds. But the reality is, is if you look at any sort of recent draft history at all, you can go back as far as you want. The recent success of tight ends is not good. It's just not. It's it's arguably the hardest position to transition into. You have to learn everything. This isn't just route running. This is blocking. You have to know almost every position on the field. You need to know where the quarterback wants you. You need to know where the running back's going. You need to know where your route is. I mean, this is why you see tight ends struggle for two to three, four years before they start coming out of the woodwork a little bit. So guys like Tyler Eifert, Colby Sweener, Dwayne Allen, you know, um, uh, Eric Ebron, you know, these guys, the right play on these, if, is, if you love one of these guys so bad, you're better off just letting somebody else take them. You truly are. The better strategy year in, year out is to let these guys flounder on a roster for one or two years and then go get them for a fraction of the cost that it costs those guys to draft them in the first place. If you're like me with the guys I play with, most of us are not super patient guys. Okay, we're we're not going to just <laughs> sit and watch this guy. We're not going to just sit and watch this guy take up a taxi squad spot you know, for two or three years. If we can, you know, every year there's another rookie draft. And if we can get a mid to late round, second round pick for him, well, when rookie fever's in full effect, yeah, let's do it, even though I dropped 1.7 on him the year before, okay? That's the move. That's the shark move. That's what people need to be doing when they're take another high upside running back or wide receiver at that spot. It's just a better investment. You're better to get immediate return on your investment. Um so with that said, you know, most people argue this is a one, maybe two tight end draft. I'm here to tell you I honestly think this is a three tight end draft. Everybody's got their favorite after Clive Walford and Max Williams. Um, in my particular case, I like Williams slightly above Walford for different reasons. Neither one of them, I think, are going to have a massive impact right out of the gate. Certainly not worth a first-round pick. Um if I had to, uh, so speaking of number three, and this is where a lot of people vary on who they think is going to be that sleeper tight end, I'm going to tell you about Tyler Croft out of Rutgers, three-star recruit, wasn't really highly recruited or touted or anything like that. He actually played a little wide receiver his senior year in high school. He uh, was a tight end his junior and sophomore season. 
Um, I can see the wide receiver in him. In my opinion, he is the best route-running open field tight end in the draft. Uh, Max Williams is far more gifted in terms of athletically catching the ball as a pure receiver. But if you want to talk about routes, getting off the line, actually creating space, actually running after the ball, I would be hard-pressed to, you know, I would be open to looking at other ones, but I think Tyler Croft is the best in the class. Um, He's a smart guy, Big East all-academic. He actually was an All-American in 2013. They moved him in uh, to, uh, moved him to a move tight end in 2014. He's an absolute tenacious, tenacious blocker. Uh, this guy is going to sure up a running game very, very quickly. He's very agile, very athletic, got huge arms. He's very long, uh, great hands. He's not just content in holding blocks. He wants to rip your arm off. He wants to throw you into the ground. Uh, he has no problem being lined up on bigger, stronger, more athletic defensive ends, and he will lock them down. He's going to be an asset to any outside running game for sure, and that will happen much sooner than later. Um, he is, uh, he's got some weaknesses. Um, his catch radius as a pure receiver and leaves something to be desired. It's hard to gauge on tape, but he doesn't really show you that he has that natural receiving high upside of like a, a Max Williams that can go up and get it, who can high point balls, who has a really wide, I mean, the guy can grab anything. Um, Croft tends to alligator arm it a little bit, lets things get to his body a little bit. He likes the ball close. Um, There were a few passes I saw that I felt like he could have came down with if he just would have trusted himself and went out and got that ball. Um, We'll see if that, you know, will change at the next level or not. Little injury history. I mean, the guy's pretty athletic. He didn't get to compete at the combine. Um, he had some, I believe, some injury, uh, an injury, uh, an ankle injury, and then he was uh, he re-injured it uh, during a medical exam. Actually, at his pro day, his low forty was a four six seven, which is going to put him right at the top of most tight ends. Um, I think his official forty was a four seven five, so he's right there with everybody. Thirty four inch vertical leap. Um, really nice three-cone drill of 7.18 for a big guy like that. That's pretty, pretty good. So he shows some good lateral uh, ability there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, it's Rutgers. There's very limited tape on him. and uh, But I think he's a guy, if you're looking for a late-round flyer, again, I don't honestly even suggest drafting the guy. I think he's projected in the fifth. I think uh, there's going to be plenty of teams. I think he fits almost any scheme in the NFL. He's that talented and versatile as a tight end. I think he's arguably the most versatile tight end in the draft. He can play either tight end position. Um, And so I think a team is going to find value on him before the fifth. It wouldn't surprise me to see him go in the late third or fourth. Um, I suspect he will definitely be a top five tight end off the board. Uh, and he's just one of those that you're going to want to keep your eye on. Uh, again, I don't recommend drafting him necessarily unless there's just nothing else of value that you see anywhere, or he lands in a really good spot like, say, Baltimore, where you know Pitt is going to have a concussion by halfway through spring training and her uh, training camp and, and, you know, sorry, baseball mode. And, uh, <laughs> um, 
you know, and he might have a really nice opportunity there to uh, compete, you know, in Baltimore for a, a more productive role early on. But the strategy isn't, you know, if you really got a late round flyer and just need to stuff a taxi squad, I can think of worse people to do it with. But as a sleeper, as a name you should know, as somebody you should watch land on draft day and take note of and, and kind of continue to keep an eye on. And if he shows flashes at all, he's going to want to be someone you grab immediately off of waivers and stash. Um, you know, I did watch some film on him for our, for our rookie extravaganza show. And I actually took him out of my top five. And my problem there was uh, that team, I know, and I'm not going to get off on some tangent about how the college bowl system is so stupid and how Rutgers makes a bowl every year when they're six and seven. But that, yeah, that's just all I'm going to say about that. But that team was so bad at certain points. It's just like, yeah, he's out there making blocks, but it doesn't look like he's doing anything because everybody else is not making blocks. I mean, how how do we how do you, how do you see what I mean? What exactly are you seeing? On, on the limited film that makes you think that he's going to, to to make this jump? Well, that's just it. I mean, there's so many assumptions we have to make, you know, when we look at that. And I think that's where guys like Tyler Croft and some of these lesser-known tight end guys, I mean, number one, it's boring as sin watching tight end film. Let's just all admit it, okay? Half the time you're watching the guy just aimlessly run around the field until he's actually involved in the play, you know? They're, they're just not that involved in the offense in terms of actually catching the ball and, 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 you know, putting up stats that we care about as fantasy people, right? So they're always the last one I go to, and they're, I'm never in a huge race to tear through 12, you know, 15, 20 tight end prospects because ultimately the draft is going to tell me more about these guys than anything else. Uh, and I trust the NFL scouting department a little more when I factor in my tight end rankings, because to me, I just don't see a lot of difference between a lot of these guys, right? There's so many factors that go into tight end way more than running back and way more than wide receiver even. And so I, I just try not to overanalyze it too much. So I have to pick just a handful of plays that really stand out to me. Um, there's one play against Notre Dame in 2013 um, where he basically bull rush. Uh, it's, a, it's a running play. I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. But he has to come down inside and take out basically the, uh, the uh, defensive end that's cutting across the field. And, I mean, he doesn't just take him out. He pile drives him into the ground. I mean, this is a guy that's got him by 20 pounds and it has just as much force coming the other way as Tyler Croft does going the other way. Um, what impresses me most about his blocking is just the way he engages the blocker with his hands, with his arms. I, I, I don't know how to describe it other than that, other than just when I see it, when I look at it, he looks like he's in control of the block. He knows where he's going. Um, the other thing... I really that really stands out to me about him is when he did catch the ball. When he caught the ball in space, he moved like a wide receiver, not a tight end. And that is a huge difference to me in terms of how I scout for fantasy purposes. Because that is, you know, that is ultimately what I'm after. I don't give a shit about the block. 
I want the 20 yard seam route that ends up in a touchdown or another 15, 20 yards because he actually does have some giddy up, some athletic ability to get out, not just a lumbering tight end that can stretch his hands over a, you know, a, a middle linebacker and make the play. So, you know, those are, those are a t- couple of things to me that stand out on Croft versus uh, a bigger, bulkier tight end like um, the kid from Notre Dame. I'm forgetting his kayak or is it kayak? Or, yeah, 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 something like that. You know, Koyak. yeah, or yeah. some of these, or Jesse James from uh, Penn State. You know, I mean, all these guys are in the running. I mean, you could you could probably argue me out of it any day of the week, and I could get him to flip around. Um, but in terms of a name, I think Tyler Croft is going under the radar a little bit, whereas guys like, you know, I mean, Notre Dame has a long history of prototypical tight ends, and, you know, the Jesse James kid looks pretty good. Um, I think those are the names that are servicing right now. So if you're looking for a name that you don't know, you know, which is really why I'm here, I think that's why I picked Croft. Okay. Nick, any questions there? Well, I'm a little worried about uh, his frame. He's 6'5", around 240, 245. That's kind of skinny for a tight end. You mentioned it hasn't hurt his blocking ability, but do you think he's big enough to hold down, hold up as a three-down tight end in the NFL? Well, that's what I like about him so much, Nick, is that he is essentially, you know, Kelvin Benjamin with 10 more pounds, you know, and he's right on that bubble. He's right on that uh, Devin Funches kind of, line and it's like if we were talking about Funch I mean essentially Funchess and this guy are identical in terms of their athletic measurements and size and speed and shape and everything catching you know I would I would argue I like Tyler Croft more as an actual route runner I like Funchess more as an inside route runner Um, but that's what I like so much about him is I'm trying to find a tight end that's going to be slightly skewed on more of the offensive side of things. So if he gets his, if he can get in there and he can block and he can improve your offense, which is what's going to get him on the field to begin with, you know, does he have the actual athleticism to thrive as an offensive weapon in the passing game? And I don't see that with Jesse James. I don't see that with Kayak. I see that with Tyler Croft. He's going to have to improve in some areas. I see that with Max Williams. I'm even a little hesitant on Walford with that, even though he's definitely, you know, probably the best blocker in the class. Um, so, you know, that's that's what I that's what, why I actually like him. But I get the concern, you know. But what I saw was a guy that is is more than capable of handling the blocking, um, at least at the Big East level. Okay. Uh, well, that's uh, – excuse me, we have another guest joining us here in a couple minutes, Dan. So um, are you going to stop by next week and tell us one more before the day before the draft? Damn, we got to do something. That's for sure. I got to yep. – you know what I got to do is I got to pimp our um, our first ever DFW Combine. All right? That might be worth a subscription by itself right there. And I'm just going to tease you with that. And next week, um, I'll definitely, at the very least, I'll come on and we can talk about our first annual 
I mean, we're talking Jay Myers, my partner and buddy, and Jeff Melvisev, my partner and buddy. He's flying in from Colorado. We got some we got some absolute, you know, potential um blackmail material that's gonna be on the site after draft <laughs> weekend. And and I'd be remiss if I didn't uh wiggle my way on here for ten, fifteen minutes and talk about that. <laughs> okay. And I'm sure I can come up with another prospect. Sure. That that'd be some great film to break down. I think we're looking forward to that. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, thank you. Thank you, Dan, and have a good day, sir. Yeah, thank you, guys. Take care. All right, joining us now from G G excuse me G G Men HQ dot com is Luis Dorado. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Thank you for the intro. Back with Holland. How are you doing today, sir? Pretty good. I love the intro. Thank you ever so much. Good afternoon, guys. Uh good. We're doing we're we're doing good. Uh like I said, Luis Torado Jr. from gmenhq.com, which is a division of fan sides, is that correct? Say it again. I'm sorry you guys are breaking up. Oh, sorry. Just welcoming Luis in as we talk about his uh New York Giants here. Um uh you also do a little bit of Jets talk, which uh, uh, we covered them last week. But uh, we're here to talk about your Giants. So why don't you just tell us about uh, G-Men HQ and uh, what you guys do over there? Well, pretty much, um, just like you guys said, um, G-Men HQ is a definitive source for everything you can think of about the New York Giants. Uh, we cover everything from the draft, analysis, on um, like the schedule that just came out, and pretty much every single angle you could think of, from Eli Manning to Shane Marine to a lot of the hot topics. Um it's also part of the fan side network. They're, they're huge. They cover everything from Batman versus Superman all the way down to, like, every single division of sports you could think of. So it's a really cool um, network. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to your Giants. Uh, you guys kind of had, I don't know if you want to call him a flash in the pan, but Larry Larry Donnell, who just uh, coincidentally re-upped today, um, certainly had his moments last year, uh, but can he be trusted? moving forward here in 2015. I've always said that when you get a, a draft pick, usually, you know, you have the couple of headaches their first rookie season, and then the second year they're still kind of trying to avoid the sophomore slump. And usually by the third year, which is what's going to happen this year with Danell, that's when you really know if that person will either develop into the star after that you need or if he's going to need to be retooled or redone in a different method. Um, I like what he did last season. Um, he had a pretty good year. He had six touchdowns. The rookie season, he had nothing. Um, I look at him, especially with the whole West Coast offense in the second year of installment, he should definitely be an integral part in what they're going to do this upcoming season. I definitely see him uh, taking off. Okay. Nick, any questions there about uh, Larry? Or uh, Yeah. Uh, last year he had 63 catches for just over 600 yards and six scores. Uh, do you think with uh, Cruz coming back and the new additions like Vereen, do you think that's closer to his ceiling or is floor moving forward? 
Well, I think he's moving forward. Figure since they're going to be using Chamberlain more in a dual threat kind of a role, I definitely see uh, Danell stepping up. I think he's going to shine during off-season training camps. We're heading right into the preseason. Um, it's been a long time since the Giants actually had that really strong, dependent tight end in their offense. If he can pick up where he did last season and he continues to show that you know he can handle taking all the responsibilities, especially if Danell if Danell can step up while Cruz is getting double coverage or if Beckham gets double coverage, that that I think they have actually won his best season yet. Yeah, we certainly. I think this, if anything was accomplished from last year, it was certainly just a little little trust out of Eli. I think there for Danell. So. Um, Moving forward, you got three running backs on this roster. It's Shane Vereen, Rashad Jennings, and uh, Andre Williams. Uh, but who's the best rushing running back on this roster? Oh, I'm, hands down, definitely Shane Vereen. I'm sure you guys seen what he did last season with the Patriots. I think he's more of a home run threat only because I don't, I'm not confident in Rashad Jennings uh, being healthy the full season. And I love Andre Williams. I think he has uh, pretty much the skill set to solidify himself as a starting option down the road. But he's still a rookie. He's entering his second year, and I think that he doesn't have the complete package that Vereen does. Um, definitely, Vereen's going to add an, an incredible dimension to this team. It's going to be on his legs. It's going to be on his receiving skills. And I think he's going to elevate the Giants to at least get a handful more wins this year than last year. Okay, so you're confident that he can he can catch the ball and rush the ball. Oh yeah, definitely. He's going to be what complements the Giants' uh, attack very nicely. Because, like I said last year, the Bennings, he, he's unpredictable. He's inconsistent. There's a lot of times that uh, Williams stepped in, and they, he did decent. But considering that uh, he's not really that explosive when the football is in his hands when they're throwing to him, this is where Marine steps in. And I definitely see him being the, the leader in this rushing core. Okay. All right, uh, Nick, any questions there about the, the rushing core there? Uh, well, yeah, but I agree. Vereen was definitely way underused there in uh, New England, so I think he should be the lead back moving forward. Uh, who do you think will be the main backup then, uh, Rashad Jennings or Andre Williams? I'm going to say Andre Williams. I think he has more upside than Jennings. If Jennings can stay healthy and he can be consistent, then we'll see, but I, I'm not confident in that. I think he's going to be inconsistent. I don't see him playing a full season healthy. Yeah, Jennings is certainly a lot older than Williams, too. And I feel like maybe him and Vereen are the same type of player, so he's maybe a little bit better of a, a backup for Vereen where Andre Williams can maybe do that, uh, you know, uh, Brandon Jacobs role, that type of, you know, short yardage punishing type of thing. So um, I really like Andre Williams, and, and I, I I would like to see him maybe, you know, certainly get his five to, five to eight, touches per game and see, see what they can get out of him. Because I, I think as far as between the tackles, I think he's possibly the best option there for the Giants. Maybe maybe you can disagree with me there, Luis. I don't know. Oh, yeah, very good points. Um, I, like if you look at all three, like I think Vereen's more of a complete package. I think Williams, like you said, he's a lot quicker. He has more of a finesse style to him. And I think Jennings is kind of like in the middle where he, he can power through and he also has somewhat speed. But – I think Williams in that aspect, especially running between the gaps and the tackles, he's definitely the best option for that particular role. So if they ease him in like that, like you said, I think that will work very well for him. Okay. Um, well, I've, I'm pretty sure Eli's contract is up after 2015 there, Luis. Um, mm -hmm. Does that mean Ryan Nassib's going to be under center week one, 2016? It's very hard to determine if that will be the, the destiny for him. 
Um, I think this year will be what determines what Eli Mann is going to do or whether he's going to stay with the Giants or if he's going to get released or anything like that or hit free agency. Um, I don't see uh, Nassif starting in 2016 only because let's pretend devil's advocate that uh, Manning has a decent season. They're just going to franchise tag him until they get him a long-term deal. On the flip side, if he has a terrible season, because you never know what kind of version of Eli Manning we're going to get, if he has a terrible season with interceptions and fumbles and the Giants are losing a bunch of games, I can definitely see him hitting free agency. Um, I know it's going to be a shocker to Giants fans because he did two Super Bowls and you know he's been the face of the franchise for a very long time. But if you look at what the Giants have always holistically done, they've always had people that developed for the future. So if you look at how many years since there's been under Manning, he's learning from arguably another future Hall of Famer, eventually his time will come. But 2016, I still think it's going to be Manning to a degree, whether he gets re-signed to a long-term contract or if he gets franchise tag. Okay. Uh, Nick, any thoughts there? Well, you said uh, it all depends on what's going to happen this year for Eli, but then you close by saying you do believe he'll be back in 2016. So does your gut tell you that it'll be a fairly successful year for the Giants then? It will be very hard to determine, like, um, depending on how the West Coast offense does. I mean, the schedule came out. It looks pretty promising. Um, I could definitely see them, you know, make it a run for the NFC East. But it all depends on Eli Manning. If if he's consistent, if he's to the point he runs his franchise either right to the playoffs or he's going to run them down. Um, it's very hard to see what's going to happen. I I honestly believe that they're going to be kind of decent. They'll be better than last year, I know that for sure. And just got to see what happens, especially if they make the playoffs. If they do and, you know, Manning's top of his game, he's definitely going to come back and he'll arguably get a long-term contract and end his career with the Giants. Okay. Um. We saw Jonathan Hankins make 50 tackles and seven sacks last year for uh, as a at defensive tackle there for the Giants. Um, was that a mirage, or is that is that something that he can produce every year there? What do you think, Luis? Well, it's a very similar situation to Larry Donnell. I always use that three-year rule, in my opinion, to you know get a real good gauge at what um, you're going to get out of a, a draft pick. Um, I don't think it was a mirage. I, I look at him, and he plays with intensity. His, he's got aggression. And I look at what he's done last year as just a stepping stone towards him this year and beyond. Um, I don't see him, you know, digressing or going in a backwards situation. I definitely see him continuing to pick up where he left off and hopefully be that superstar that helps get the Giants defense not struggling as much as they did last year. Uh, well, we uh, I kind of posed that same question to one of our IDP guys here on staff, and he, he thinks Hankins was the big reason that uh, – Jason Pierre-Paul had had such a nice resurgence. Do you do you do you agree with that? And do you think that can that that can continue those two to play off each other really well? Yeah, they do. Like, it, but here's the, the thing with that. The only thing I kind of disagree is that they did that against mediocre teams. If they can do that against the Cowboys, against the Eagles, then I would definitely agree with that statement. It all depends on if they can gel. Like, if Jason Pierre-Paul played as good as he did towards the end of last season, the whole season. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Giants would have won at least three or four more games. That's that's the only thing. It all depends on how JPP actually steps up and plays. I think because he has a chip on his shoulder and the whole franchise tag, he's going to play really, really well this year, and I think he's going to elevate guys around him, especially Hankins, who needs that veteran leadership and mentor to kind of develop him to where he needs to go. So it all, all depends on JPP on that. Okay. Uh, well, one of, the, one of the guys that maybe – 
possibly budding to be a, a good player, a really good player on that defense is Devin Kennard. I'm pretty sure he went undrafted last year. But, uh, out of USC, uh, linebacker, 6'3", 250, 4'5", 4'6", speed. Um, what do you think about him? He, he, he gains some experience, but there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, guys to, uh, to compete with at the linebacker their position. What, what are your thoughts there? Yep, definitely agree. Uh, he, he has potential. I think he, he's going to keep getting groomed and he's going to keep learning from the guys around him. Um, I, I thought he was very quick. I thought he handled the assignments well and he executed pretty well to a degree. Um, it's weird because I know it's his rookie year, so I really got to see what he does this season to determine what he's going to do in the future. I think uh, he keeps putting in that work. He keeps making sure that he just listens to coaching, especially with these like Noah Wolbeck. I think he can have another big season. It all depends on the opportunities that he gets and what he makes the most out of. Okay. Uh, Nick, any questions there about the Giants' defense? Uh, just one more about uh, Kennard. I know last year he split time with uh, Spencer Paysinger, who's now in Miami. Do you think Kennard's going to be an every-down back, backer now, or do you think he'll split time again? He, he'll split time. I don't, I don't. He's good, but he's not at the level of being able to, to be dependent more on the, the situational packages that he gets. Yeah, and certainly it's nice to have a guy with that kind of speed off the edge, and, and coming off fresh, you know, off the bench fresh at on third and seven, you know, definitely maybe like a nickel, a nickel linebacker package. Nice, nice to have that speed. Um, in the so draft, obviously coming up next week, uh, you made a few free agent moves. Any thoughts there? Just kind of on the free agency period as we wind down going and going into the draft next week. Well, the Giants are they're very they're very low key, quiet kind of team. Um, clearly, Shane Vroom is probably their best pickup and the flashiest pickup. I think they they hit a really big need with that. Um, I am a little concerned they didn't really get any veterans for safety except for Josh Gordy. He's okay, but I felt that they could have got so many better options if they were more aggressive in the beginning. Um, I definitely look at um, depth pass rush. That's that's the number one priority that they have to address at the draft, and they didn't pick anybody for that particular aspect. Um, for the draft, though, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts. What do you think is the, the number one position that they should actually go for? Uh, I, I guess I'd probably say either safety. I did I did a draft for, for the Giants in a writer's mock, and I took Landon Collins with that first overall. Like, I really like him. Some people are a little down on him right now. I don't know why. Uh, I would <laughs> either go there or possibly, possibly offensive line. Uh, what are your thoughts there, Nick? Uh, I agree. If Landon Collins is there, then he's a no-brainer selection for him. Uh, and if they don't go offensive line or safety, I think probably linebacker would be next in line. Very good, very good points. Um, I think the reason people don't like Collins is only because of his position. A lot of people say, I mean, from what I read on the Internet, is that a lot of people think that it's a high reach to get him in the first round, especially with the number nine overall pick, that they can get someone similar like in the later round. Um, I did a mock draft for uh, Jimin HQ, and I actually had Shane Ray. I think he would be perfect. I think they should go defensive end, and I look at what um, he brings to the table. They could also go linebacker, but they need to get at least, like, one or two people that can come right in, immediately contribute, and just start helping that, that Giants defense become quicker and faster and more aggressive. Well, I'm not a big Shane, Marie, uh, Shane Ray fan, excuse me. I uh, I think – I mean, obviously, if like Vic Beasley was to slip that far, he'd be a, he'd be a great choice if you if you want to go oh, to that definitely. position. But uh, I have some 
Yeah, I have some definite concerns about uh, Shane Ray, but uh, you can read about that on our Q&A on Saturday on TFW, and I won't get into that now. Um, but, yeah, I certainly have some some concerns about him. But, uh, if you know, that's that's my that's my opinion. You know, if you, if you think he's your guy, that's that's cool. I can totally, totally respect that. I, I've, I've gone back and watched films on people that I didn't necessarily like before, and my mind has changed. So, uh, any any other thoughts on kind of things that they think you think they could address maybe later in the draft? Well, if I look at um, the position that they need in the later rounds, um, I could definitely see them going. I mean, they need to get more defensive secondary help. I could see them maybe drafting another safety if they go defensive end or linebacker in the first couple of rounds. Um, they definitely need extra depth on the offensive line. So, if I were GM, if I'm Mr. Jerry Reese, I would if it were me, I would do uh, defensive end or linebacker first round by another defensive end or linebacker second round, start getting some safeties and try to find a good offensive lineman. And hopefully everything pans out now and successful draft. Okay. Uh, Nick, any other questions there for Luis? Uh, no, I think we got it all wrapped up. Again, it's Luis Torado Jr. Uh, amazing follow on Twitter. One of, one of the hardest working writers out there I know, so check him out. Gmenhq.com. Uh, yeah, good, uh, good, uh, good. We've grown to be good friends, Luis, and I and I and I appreciate appreciate uh, your friendship and your retweets, and I'll and I'll keep doing the same. Awesome, thank you very much, guys. It was a pleasure. Keep up the great work with one of my very favorite podcasts. I love this show; it's awesome, and um, you guys are definitely great at what you do. So keep it up, and I look forward to hearing your show in the future. Awesome, cool, and we look forward to bringing you back. So. Our, our man, Thank you very much. Take care, Luis. Okay, well, Mark T. Wilson is going to be joining us in about 10 minutes um, to talk about his Philadelphia Eagles. Somebody else from New York, live from the Bronx, New York, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Fan. Guys, awesome. But let's get to some more trades here before we get going here, Nick. Um, and then we have a Dynasty Dilemma to take care of as well. Uh, last trade, DFW 36, Austin to Saren Jenkins was traded for C.J. Spiller. What are your thoughts? Uh, I love getting rid of C.J. Spiller pretty much no matter who you're getting. I'm just not a Spiller guy. never was when he was in Buffalo, and I am even less now in New Orleans. I think he's definitely the second back behind Mark Ingram there. So I like the side that picks up the upside uh, young tight end in Austin, Sperry, and Jenkins. I think C.J. Spillett can really give them that Reggie Bush dimension to their offense. So I'm slightly optimistic, but me being slightly optimistic about Spiller, considering I haven't liked him since he got drafted, is, 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 is I guess, saying something, but still not saying a whole lot. Um, and maybe this kind of goes back to what Dan was talking about with uh, guys not being very patient, unloading a – let's face it, a massive tight end who's going to have some talent around him. He's going to obviously be getting a quarterback. Um, you know, the offensive line that isn't great there in Tampa, so he, he might be more of a blocking guy for the next couple of years. But I think you're getting a nice piece. If you can afford to keep this guy, you know, in a DFW 36, it's a 45-man roster, which includes, you know, about about you start about uh, eight defensive players as well. So, that, I mean, if you could afford to keep this guy, you know, around in your bench, maybe use him as a bio replacement because I think he'll be a decent red zone threat considering the other athletes they have on this offense, I think it's a good ad. I, like I said, uh, it's kind of hard to be high on a, on a, on a running back, Spiller's age. So 
I can't necessarily buy buy into that, even though I'm somewhat intrigued. Maybe in a redraft format, I spillers out there at the end of the la- last round. Uh, I would take you know, and I, you might you might laugh at that statement, Nick, because I but I also said last year that I would never draft Darren McFadden again. I said that last year too. So, uh, uh, but I won't draft him this year. That's for sure. Um, let's get to our dynasty dilemma. Uh, each week we do we pit uh, two players against each other. And I keep saying we need to do two different positions against each other, Nick. Uh, but uh, I didn't didn't remember that this time. So we got Victor Cruz staying here in the NFC East. Victor Cruz versus Jordan Matthews. I took Victor Cruz, so I will go first. Let's get our music going so we get all pumped up. Slayer clips in the first hour, Nick. I, I am pumped up. Uh, all right, Victor Cruz. Um, I guess we have a case of young versus old. We also have a case of uh, strong startup value, strong startup value. Um, you know, kind of a bargain value with Victor Cruz being listed at DFW's number forty-two, while Jordan Matthews is, is ranked seventeenth. So I think you're going to get a lot more value out of Victor Cruz this year, and possibly next year. Obviously, this all depends on how that knee heals. Um, but I can honestly see Cruz and Matthews producing the same type of numbers. Obviously, Matthews is going to be the better prospect, you know, two or three years down the line. But in the short term, if you were doing the startup, you can get Victor Cruz as a 42nd wide receiver off the board. I feel a little more comfortable with that because as much as I love Jordan Matthews, I think that ranking. 17 ranking is just a little bit high. Uh, Matthews is certainly still a work in progress. Cruz has, and Cruz has the productive background. Uh, he is coming off the major knee injury, but he does have Odell Beckham Jr., who is going to demand constant attention. Like I said earlier, I think teams are going to double Beckham into the ground. They also have, like we talked about earlier with Luis Donnell, uh, um, and you know even Ruben Randall, who Dan wrote a nice piece about a few few weeks back, they they have talent on this. So Cruz is going to be able to ease his way back in the lineup. But I think towards the end of the year, especially if this team is is in the hunt for that division, and I know I know Nick's probably not optimistic about the Giants being in the hunt for the division, but uh, I think you're going to see a lot more Victor Cruz towards the end of the year. That's when those fantasy playoffs are going. You want that title? You want that dynasty title? I think Victor Cruz is going to be a nice piece for you. Um, therefore, you know, Cruz is going to be in the same position with Beckham, you know, and Randall, Danell. I think Cruz is going to be in the same position that he was during his breakout year. Um, at this point, I think Jordan Matthews is going to be matched up against the top cornerback in every game. Obviously, we don't know if they're going to draft a receiver. Maybe Tebow can play receiver, um, but uh, he's going to be he's going to be matched up right now at this point against the top cornerback in every game. While Cruz is going to be matching up against you know a lot of a lot of cornerback twos, and you know who's that going to be? Is that going to be a rookie? Is that going to be some guy making his first you know first year starting? And especially looking at the corners in the secondary in the NFC East, Cruz certainly is a little more enticing considering he's not going to be drawing that top guy every single week. Nick, what do you got for us on Jordan Matthews? 
Well, you know, I'm going to start with Victor Cruz. I, I'm just not high on him. You know, he peaked in 2011. That was his breakout year. He had 1,500 yards. The next year, he was under 1,100 yards, but he still had the 10 touchdowns. And then in 2013, only four touchdowns and under 1,000 yards. Torres Patella tendon last year, only 330 yards, one score in six games. Whereas Ruben Randall, who right now is the 67th receiver off the board in ADP and on DFW, uh, he went for 71 catches, 938 yards, and three scores last year. He's going into his fourth year, but he's young. He's only 24 years old, even though it's his fourth year. Uh, he's increased his yards by 300 yards every year, going from under 300 to 611, then 938 last year, and he's never missed a game. I'll take Ruben Randall over Victor Cruz uh, as far as their ADPs go every time. So to me, if Cruz can't beat out Randall, he can't beat out 23-year-old Jordan Matthews. 67 catches, 870 yards, and eight scores as a rookie. He was Philly's second-leading receiver last year, but Jeremy Macklin's gone now, and gone with him are the 85 catches for 1,300 yards and 10 scores. Uh, you know, Matthews at six foot three is a good target in the red zone. He runs the four four six forty, so he can stretch the field. And you know, playing in that offense, he's pretty much pretty much guaranteed to lead the NFL in snaps. So he, the opportunities are going to be there for Jordan Matthews. And one more thing, as a rookie, you want to see improvement throughout the season. Uh, Matthews had three 100-yard games. All of those came within the last eight games of the season, well, only two games under 50 yards in the final half of the year, whereas in the first half of the season, he only had two games with 50 or more yards. So he definitely improved as the season went on last year. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm maybe not always prepared for this segment because you're always awesome to be prepared. And I really felt like I was prepared, but then you even, like, went Ruben Randall against Victor Cruz on me. Um, and I guess the, the only rebuttal I could even give you for that is what if – let's turn this argument. Let's say Victor Cruz, not Ruben Randall. Victor Cruz got to play the Redskins two more times <laughs> in the season. Would he be a little more high in bed? Because he kills the Skins, right? I mean, come on. Oh, oh yeah. He, he killed us every single time. <laughs> All right. Well, while we're waiting for uh, – um, Mark to join us. Why don't we get to get to Nick Rants? I know I'm kind of going off schedule here, but each each week we try to get something in called that we call Nick Rants. Where I give my co-host Nick the floor to rant about something that's kind of on his mind, bothered him. Usually it's about football, but what do you got for us, Nick? Well, you know that feeling when you're reading an article and a statistic is mentioned that's both so mind-blowing and so obvious that you kind of feel like your brain got slapped around inside your head a little bit. Uh, I felt that way uh, reading Peter King's recent article where he wrote that no pure safety that has played in the NFL in the last 35 seasons, and I'm 35 years old, so in my lifetime, no pure safety that has played in the NFL is in the Hall of Fame. The last safety to get in, Paul Krause, he's the all-time leader in interceptions. He didn't get in until his 14th year of eligibility. What's the deal? I mean, these guys aren't kickers and punters. They're every-down players, and they're not toiling away unnoticed in the trenches like a guard or a center, but they're out there sometimes in the box playing the run. Sometimes they're the last line of defense. They're trying to cover a huge tight end on one play, tackle the running back on the run the next play, and then cover a shifty third down back or a slot receiver the next. I mean, safeties are some of the most versatile players on the field. It's a very demanding position. 
you know, I'm, the only reason I can think of that no safety recently is in is longevity, maybe. You know, you look at a guy like Bob Sanders is a perfect example. He was so good when he was healthy, oh. but he was only healthy for two seasons. Both those seasons, he was an all-pro. And, you know, of course, the best safety I've ever seen, Sean Taylor, was killed at 24. But, you know, other than the obvious future Hall of Famers, Paul Malo and Ed Reed, there are other guys that should be in. Rodney Harrison eventually, probably Brian Dawkins at some point. Uh, John Lynch right now is the closest. He seems to be in the, on the nominee list anyway every year. But to me, it's absolutely unbelievable that Steve Atwater's not in. I know you and I have talked about this before on the Rotorob podcast, but, uh, you know, the guy's an eight-time Pro Bowler. He made seven Pro Bowls in a row from 1990 to 96. 173 tackles in his second year. Six years over 100 tackles. <laughs> three seasons with over 150 tackles. In his 10 years playing in Denver, he never missed more than two games, and that only happened once. <laughs> you know, why Why are there not more safeties in? I just don't get it. I admit I've been hard on the Hall of Fame for a long time, ever since Art Monk was getting snubbed for years, and they continue to get things wrong. Ken Stabler, Joe Kobe, Atwater. But I'll, I'll at least close by saying one nice thing about the NFL Hall of Fame. At least they're better than Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. Aren't there years where nobody gets in in that system? Wow, isn't it time to loosen the restrictions there? What do you say, Josh? Uh, how about Roddy Lott? I mean, what what more does a guy need to do <laughs> to get in the Hall of Fame? I mean, uh, I Ronnie, Ronnie, that, I Ronnie Lott's in, but he wasn't a pure safety. He played cornerback for a lot of years before switching to safety. Okay. All right. I I figured you there was a reason you didn't say no, but yeah. Steve Atwater, and, and I know how you feel about Sean Taylor, but I don't. I've never seen anybody hit like Steve Atwater. I mean, it's just it hurt you watching it on TV. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I don't get it. I, I mean, is Troy Polamalu not going to get in? Is Ed Reed not going to get in? I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I just yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. And Paul Krause, I mean all-time leader in interceptions, what more does a guy have to do? You you make him wait for that long to get in. I just I, I don't get it. Uh, well, we have Mark T. Wilson on the phone. Mark, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you? Good. Good to talk to you. Um, sorry to leave you on hold there. I got off, I got off on a tangent there about Steve Atwater. Um, Mark T. Wilson, CEO of truelovesports.com. Um, and honestly, one of the best people I know. And he uh, he actually let my son do a video cast for his website during the football season. And so Henry sat down yesterday, and our last week actually, and returned the favor. So this is this is what Henry did for uh, my 11 year old son for Mark because he's so awesome. <laughs> The CEO of TrueLoveSports.com, Mr. Mark T. Wilson! Oh, man. Yo, he is the greatest. <laughs> now you're pumped up, right? Do you feel like you should be Yo, yo that was walking? awesome. Thank you, Harry. Oh man! I feel like you're gonna do some stuff at a basketball game. But anyway, uh, like I said, <laughs> Mark Mark is a, is a good friend, and he is a crazy Eagles fan in the heart of New York City, live from the Bronx. Mark T. Wilson, what's up, buddy? 
Uh, not too much, man. Just um, you know, um, hoping that my boys do something good this season. That's all. Okay. Well, I mean, let's be honest. It's been a pretty quiet off season in Philadelphia, so I don't know if we're going to have too much to talk about here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you got Sam Bradford. You got that other guy, you know, from the University of Florida this week. Oh, we won't really talk about that. I'm not prepared for that. But uh, why not Brett Hundley? What? What? Doesn't he seem like the guy that if they're not going to be able to get Mariota, doesn't he seem like the next best option for that offense? I think with the, uh, I don't know, man. With the way Chip is going, I'm thinking, though, it's a Pac-12 guy. Why not just go ahead and snatch him up just because he's a Pac-12 guy? But, I mean, Brett, I mean, uh, I mean, there's no secret. He's a, um, he is a straight work in progress. and But I don't, he's no more different than, uh, a Sam Brad, uh, a Mark Sanchez, and for the life of me, I don't know why Tim Tebow is on Eagles. Uh, maybe the Gatorade get. I, I have no idea what that you know what that sign. Uh, but Brett, um, uh, he's good. Um, not a great pocket passer at all. But Chip Kelly doesn't want any pocket passer. Um, so I mean, Brett, he probably will fit the offense pretty well if uh, if, if you know given the opportunity. Okay, Nick, Nick, any any thoughts there on the the QB situation? As we we know, it's pre- pretty much still in flux there until the until the draft is officially over. Well, we've heard so much talk about how if Mariota gets drafted by the Eagles, the transition will be so much easier for him because of the system there that uh, Chip Kelly runs. Do you think the same uh, would uh, be true for the other uh, quarterbacks coming into the draft that are coming from uh, spread offenses like uh, Grayson or Bryce Petty? Or do you think it's just Marcus because he knows the Chip Kelly style of that offense? Chip? Oh, oh man. I mean, okay. What I get with Chip is a, a, a lot of our Eagles fans – we don't really know Chip that you know that well. Like that, no one knows what he wants to do. You had Nick Foles, uh, <laughs> was like was, was like twenty seven and two interceptions one year. Okay, then he gets hurt the following year. Then you just ship him out of town for Sam Bradford. We don't know what kind of quarterback he wants. We all know he loves Mariota because he recruited Mariota. Mariota might be good in that system. Chip Foles was good in that system. He didn't run. No one knows what Chip wants. I mean, he can go draft uh, Brett, uh, Brett if he wants to. He can go get Marcus Mariota if he wants to. There is no guarantee that no one is going to be good enough for him. No one knows what this guy wants. He's like a, the top enigma of the, uh, the NFL. <laughs> I get the feeling that he kind of wants it that way. But I, I don't know about I don't know about <laughs> you, and I and I. And I feel your pain as, as, you, as you're saying those words, buddy. But, uh, yeah, just you just don't know. Um, is there a sack master on this defense? Now, last year we saw Connor Byron make 14 and a half sacks. Um, you know, can he do that again? Is there somebody else that's going to emerge? What are your thoughts there? Uh, another problem that I had, of course, I love my Eagles, so I just have many problems with them. So Nick can understand because, you know, he's a uh, risk of saying. But, um <laughs> Uh, Marlin, uh, 14 and a half sacks. I mean, statistically, that's a sack master. But now you have a guy like Vinny Curry. He played all 16 games, but didn't start one game, but still ended up with nine sacks. 
but yet they want to still start uh, Cedric Thornton on the line. Why? When Curry is Curry is the man who should be stepping up, especially with Trent Cole going. Let Curry get in there. He already had nine sacks and no starts. Just imagine what he can do with 16 starts. So and this, to me, it's going to be Barron or it's going to be it's going to be Vinny Curry. Either one of them two can easily step up and get. They can both give you between 15, 15 sacks per season. They both can do that. Okay. Any, any thoughts there, Nick, on the, the Eagles and their pursuit for sacks? Well, yeah, I was looking at Connor Barwin's stats, and he, he had the 14 and a half sacks last year, but then he only had five in 2013. Was he uh, used differently or maybe in a different position uh, in 2014 than he was the year before? I hope they go ahead. I, I still hope they play on in the same position. I'm just hoping now that you have um, the, the new guy, Alonzo. Maybe uh, Alonzo's not a, a, a quarterback sack type player. His main thing is I'm just going to stop the run. So Robin might have a better year this year. Now he don't really have to concentrate on protecting the middle of the field, protecting the run anymore. Now he can just go straight for the quarterback like the way Trent Cole was. So Robin might have a better year this year. I hope. Okay. Um, do you think there's going to be, kind of off the cuff here, do you think there's going to be um, a little bit maybe of a of a kind of a less of a focus there with, I mean, Trent Cole is obviously a guy that's been there for a long time, and, and now he's gone. Do you, do you think that's going to, is somebody, who's going to step in, and do you think that's going to affect this team maybe early on in the season? Um. The effect part is uh, with, with it all depends on the roster. If he's healthy, then I don't think we're going to. Oh man, I don't think we're going to miss Trent Cole on the field as much. We might miss him in the locker room, but field wise, Alonzo can can take over that. If if Barber can slide over into Trent Cole's position, then we're good. You, you know, you just switch positions. Bring Alonzo over there where Barber's at, and put Barber over there where Trent Cole's at. Trent Cole, his departure is going to mean more in the locker room, but once again, once those veteran players gone, so you know it's going to be a bunch of young guys around. That's where Trent Cole would, you know, would have, would have came in handy at. So maybe you know another another veteran presence voice will have to step up for the locker room. On the, on the field, we okay. In the locker room, we need help. Uh, yeah, I, not not to be forgotten. Obviously, Kiko Alonso traded for the Lashawn McCoy. There, have you heard any 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 news on his uh, his knee and and how he's doing there with that? Well, well, the reports are that you know he, he's he's coming along, but also in another, it's been relatively quiet. I don't I, I don't know if that Eagles team is just shrouded in so much mystery and. <laughs> They made big moves in, in, you know, in all seasons, but then everything has just been quiet. It's like, you know, like chips. Everybody shut up. I don't want nobody talking to the media. Just be quiet. And it's like they made the moves and they just disappeared. But a portion of his knee is that you know he's going fine. He's looking to be ready for the season opener. So we we hoping that Chip is giving out good information. Okay. I mean, yeah. If if Alonzo can be, you know. Sixty percent of the player he was as a rookie in Buffalo. I think Philadelphia's defense is going to be in, in nice shape. He was just an absolute beast, and you worry about maybe a little bit of the the chase he's going to be able to give, uh, and maybe that's going to take a little few weeks to get, to kind of gain that strength back as he gets to 
gets used to NFL contact there. Um, uh, from Alonzo to another former Duck, there's a couple of Ducks on, former Ducks on this team. Is, is there a future for Josh Huff in this offense? Oh, God, this guy. This Josh. <laughs> no. I tried. I mean, I stood for a while, and I studied the roster. I looked at everything. And maybe he, maybe everyone is thinking that he can have a, a Raleigh Cooper 2013-type year, where, you know, all the focus was on Deshaun Jackson and Raleigh Cooper just came out of nowhere. So maybe they're thinking Josh Huss can have this year now with Cooper on one side, and now we have Jordan Matthews on the other side. I just don't see it happening. He is not that type of player. Um, or uh, He played 16 games last year, but he had like eight or nine catches for like 98 yards. He was no factor. And I don't think he's going to be a factor this year. Maybe, maybe he does 30, 30 receptions. 30 receptions, I give him 300 yards. Uh, and Chip Kelly's offense, he swear that he can just plug anybody in. That's like him calling me saying, Mark, I need you to play a couple games. Huff has no future with the Eagles. Even though he is a duck, he has no future at all with the Eagles. Well, you're totally just blowing my my scouting brain because I was I was I was I loving that guy last year, and I thought, oh, he's going with Chip Kelly. Oh, they're going to use him such great ways. You know, he's he's, he's got the five eleven, two hundred pound build. He, he moves like a running back. Uh, but yeah, like you said, eight catches, ninety eight yards last year. I know he had a few injuries that slowed him down, but uh, we don't know what Chip Kelly's going to do. But uh, I totally, totally respect uh, respect your thoughts there on that matter, Nick. Any thoughts there on uh, Josh Huff? Um, so I was wondering, with Jeremy Macklin gone now and his thirteen hundred yards production, where do you see those numbers going to? Do you think Riley Cooper is going to have a lot bigger season than the five hundred seventy yards he had last year? I would. That would be so lovely for Riley Cooper to step up into Macklin's shoes, but like they need. I always thought, as Eagles family, even for years, even with uh, McNabb there, they need a a bigger receiver. I mean, nowadays everybody is six two, six three. We need a nice six six person that's able to go over the top. Cooper's not that. I mean, not uh, Cooper's not that guy. Cooper is sometimes. He may have out of sixteen games, he may give you three or four games, three or four good games that season. But right now, he has no choice but to actually step up and play. So we're hoping that we get the 2013 Raleigh Cooper instead of the 2014 Raleigh Cooper. I mean, he has um, he's in line for a great season. I mean, the plays are there. The production is there for him to, uh, for him to grab it. He just has to want it. I hope that he wants I, ho- I just hope that he wants it. Okay. Um, I didn't write a question down about the running backs, but any, any thoughts here on how they use uh, Murray and – Sproles and Matthews outside of maybe the wishbone offense? That was probably one of the dumbest all-season moves. <laughs> I mean, like, they uh, they didn't want to pay McCoy all that money. And, I, you know, I get that, you know. But, you know, you got like $50 million in, in, you know, in free agency, so you go out and pay two running backs the same amount. You're going to pay probably the best running back in the NFL. I, granted, I mean, I understand Peterson is good. Uh, I understand uh, what's that guy named we got now. Murray, he's good. But McCoy, he ran the ball. McCoy caught the ball. You don't get that. That's like the Chiefs trade, trade in Jamal Charles. Oh, we don't want you no more. You don't get that too often. Much as I love Barry Sanders, Barry Sanders cannot catch the ball. 
Peterson does not catch the ball. Guys like Emmett Smith, uh, McCoy, Jamal Charles, they can hurt you two two different ways in the field. But you let that go. Matthews is okay, but in 16 games, she's going to play eight. She's going to twist a break a toe or something like that somewhere in the eighth game. <laughs> McCoy, McCoy had one good season where he was not injured. That was last year. And actually, he got injured last year. He just lived the contract year, so he played through it. So what happens this year when he gets injured? He already got his money. He's going to sit down. I mean, it's it's just the way that it goes with him. So, I mean, in my opinion, we made a mistake. But, you know, hopefully it pans out. We got yeah. we, we traded one all-pro for two injury-prone two injury players. Uh, and then there's Sam Bradford. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of... <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of reconstructed knees on that team, but uh, uh, we won't go there. Sorry. Um, but uh, what, what, any other thoughts on the kind of the free agency period? Uh, I know it was a wild one, and kind of going into the draft here next week. Um, well, um, you know uh, Joe Branham that uh, that also writes for me. Uh, you know he's a big Rams fan. So when the trade went down, let's just say I cried. He was happy because I didn't want Foles to go anywhere, and. Damn it, I did not want you no know, uh Sam Bradford. They wanted to get rid of Sam Bradford. We were like, oh, we'll take your trash, but y'all take our football quarterback. No problem. Uh that was a dumb move. Um man, Tebow, I'm not gonna discuss that. That's just stupid. Um now, the defense we we improved. You know, we got the um we got half of the Legion, which I hope we got the good half of the Legion, not the bad half of the Legion. Um, a deep center improved. You know, we still got my boy Malcolm Jenkins back there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the free agency period was it, it was good, but it was still some moves that could have been made. I would love to have got like a a Michael Crabtree type player, uh, wide receiver. Um, offensive line, we still could use one more good signing. Um, of course, the running back. I thought they were fun moves. I would love to have Frank Gore over, you know, those two guys. But you know, that didn't quite work out. The draft, uh, 20th pick, Montana Ship still has something in the works. I, I don't, I don't trust the guy. Somehow, we're not going to end up with the 20th pick. We're, we're going to move up somewhere, and but we're going to lose somebody in the process. But um, if we still stay with it, I still say we go take a uh, wide receiver. Um, I would love to have, you know, Jeremy Strong out of Arizona State, or if we can find a way to get Devontae Parker out of Louisville. I mean, I would love that. Uh, and one more real quick, um, a sleeper pick, I would love uh, Green Beckham. Even though he's a head case, yes, indeed, he's a straight head case, but so is Winston. Why not, you know, why not go for a sleeper in the pick uh, wide receiver out of uh, Oklahoma? So any one of those three wide receivers would be good for me in the draft. Uh, you definitely get your big wide receiver there in Beckham. Um, and I think there's a possibility he's going to be there at 20 if, if they actually stand pat there. So, uh, Nick, any other any other questions there for Mark? Uh, who starts the most games at quarterback for you this year? Yeah, you, Nick, you had to ask that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and me, I will, I, I will go, I'll have to go with Sanchez. I mean, she – the defense destroyed Sanchez last year. If the defense would have played good two or three games, we would have been in the playoffs. Everybody would have been praising Sanchez. But the defense let us down so much last year that Sanchez had to take the brunt of the losses. He played pretty good. I'm going to go with, I'm have to go with Mark Sanchez on that one. Okay, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, 
Well, speaking of the Eagles quarterback is in two weeks, uh, who's left on their roster? Or, yeah. Uh, you uh, you know, you're not going to be disappointed as far as entertainment. You might not like the decisions the Eagles make there over the next couple of weeks, Mark, but uh, you're certainly uh, never uh, never not entertained, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's gonna do something else stupid to, uh, you know, to, 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 to make me mad. But you know, that's my team. I love them, man. So you know, I'm a rob with them, no matter what. You know, no matter what they do, I just, I just like to vent every now and then. Okay. Uh, well, again, it's Mark T. Wilson, the CEO of True Love Sports. We had uh, your guy Paul Esden on last week. You guys do great work over there. So make sure you check it out. All kinds of sports talk there, all kinds of articles, so, and they got a couple podcasts, too, so make sure you go over to True Love Sports and get, give them a read. they got got some good things going on there. Mark, always a pleasure, friend, and I look forward to having you back. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Take care, bud. Okay, well, now we will now move to uh, Kelly Patrice. She is the Washington Redskins fan reporter for NFL Female, and I know Nick's pretty excited to have a fellow Redskins fan on. Kelly, are you there? I am. Hi, guys. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm very well. Nick, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hale? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, like I said, Kelly is the... uh, fan reporter for NFL Female for the Washington Redskins. So uh, let's get right into it, Kelly. Uh, what, what's, uh, actually, why don't you tell us just about, uh, you know, we've had several of the gals over there at NFL Female on. Why don't you just tell us about uh, about what what's going on over there right now? Pretty exciting. We came out with um, a Kickstarter fundraiser this morning, so I start with that. Um, uh, we're based in, uh, Liz Finucci's based in, um, our editor in Canada. So um, everything that uh, we get involved in um, comes from the ideas of the 32 official fan reporters representing every team across the NFL. And Liz is open and to all kinds of ideas. So the, the, what came out this morning when I tweeted earlier um, is the fact that we're doing a Kickstarter fundraiser for NFL female. Um, more and more people have become aware, not only because paying more attention to the buying power of the female and to the knowledge level of the female in in the NFL, as well as in other sports, specifically speaking to the NFL. I was on um, Fox uh, uh, kickoff NFL Sunday last year uh, with the morning news here in the D.C. market with my fellow OFR for the Ravens, um, uh, Glenn. So we're getting more and more, um, I guess you'd say, I don't want to call it celebrityism, but people are beginning to notice that not only that, uh, you know, females do um, have the strongest buying power in the household, but they have a strong presence in the NFL when you look around the bowl, and that's how NFL female got started. Liz looked around the bowl. How I got started was I've been a fan for 50 years, and, and Liz saw some of my tweets um, last uh, beginning of last summer, and she put out a question of her own and said to me, Kelly Patrice, if you could be any position um, – on an NFL team, what would it be and why? And um, I would be a running back. And I'd be a running back because I have a low center of gravity. I like to hit hard. And I'm a bit of a speedster. 
So um, I'm not one of those running backs that likes to catch and run. I'm more of an Alfred Morris type of or John Riggins type of. I like to plow through and go behind my blockers. And um, did just that when I was 10 years old. Unfortunately, I ran into my brother who broke my nose on the beach. So uh, we were we were playing to play. Uh, <laughs> I had a little bit of experience with not only playing the game with no pads, um, but not any experience playing the game with pads. But follow my team, um, not unlike Mark, who I liked listening to just a few minutes ago, and do follow the True Love Sports. Um, they're your team for life, um, and there's something to be said for loyalty, and I think that's what people are starting to realize about NFL female fans. There's this huge base out there of loyalty, and uh, the more we present ourselves and more and more of us are getting media credentials just based on our love of the game and our passion and our understanding of it. Uh, yeah, most definitely. Like I said, you're, you're, I think, maybe the sixth or seventh NFL female we've had the pleasure to talk to and every time you guys you guys bring it and your, your knowledge just 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 hits home and we and we totally appreciate where you're coming from and it's it's yeah we're we're never disappointed with Seattle over there at NFL now. Uh, well, so I'm so glad some of the sisterhood has already made it on. Thanks for having us. I know it's most appreciated. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, let's get into your Redskins. A uh, lot of r- running back rumors linked to Washington this off season. Um, is that just Alfred Morris insurance, or is Gruden not sold on him being the workhorse going forward? What do you think? I think, um, well, I address that in two ways. Um, The new eyes of Scott McLuhan, uh, with his experience and success, presents, you know, um, new new ideas. And starting with the fact that he knows a lot of talent out there and he knows what talent's available. Um, And the quest of the Washington Redskins and has been since Dan Snyder purchased the team in 99, I was FedEx field sales director for him when he purchased the team, was to win a Super Bowl. And it still is to win a Super Bowl, not unlike the other 31 teams in the NFL. What you're looking at specifically is bringing a football person ready to do football business. And that's very unique to our last 15 years that we've had on board. Um, and I say that um, not tongue-in-cheek, but factually, and it's been a hard hard um, meal for all of us to swallow as fans. Specifically to the rumor um, of surrounding the running back, I think it's no different than any position on the Washington Redskins, and that being that um, we're looking for the best possible player at every position, and these are just Scott McLuhan's eyes um, saying, look, what's out there? What can we afford? What, I'm, what am I going to allow us to afford? Because we have so many needs. So I don't know that it's um, just specific and also anything related to Gruden being sold on him. You, if you watched uh, a little bit, and I know you watch a lot of all, but if you watched a little bit of the Redskins, you'd realize that the short attention span didn't just apply to um, the running backs. He was his first year at the learning curve in any new job, and it applied to every single position as positions were rotated in and out with various players. So I, I don't think it's um, running back specific. The other point I'd like to make on this is we are looking for, the team is specifically looking for the addition of a um, run and catch, you know, getting some yak. And we're not, uh, and our Morris, he's a powerhouse. You know, he just gets in there, he gets his yards, and he gets his eight, and he gets his ten. But he just blows people around with his body and his pure tenacity and his physicalness. And we're looking for that run and catch. So that might be part of it as well. Sure. Well, replacing Roy Hallou, I just totally understand I that. I know it. Um, Don't make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hate about, it. Uh, 
I know I know Nick's chopping at the bit, but what about what about using Daryl Young a little bit more? The guy scored five touchdowns on what twenty touches last year. I've been a big component of why NFL teams do not use the fullback anymore. I understand the three wide receiver sets and the, how they need to do things to spread things out, but why not use Daryl Young a little bit more? I mean, he he needs to be that outlet, right? Well, there was a huge fan crying, and, and I attend uh, my share of home games as well, but I also like sitting and watching. Um, I, you know, you get, in, you get a better feel for the game, I guess, sitting in your own house because you're able to stop things and, and look at things, and you have a better view. I, but I do go to my fair share of home games, and my sentiment every time I left the game was, why is he only used on that one yard? Let's get that one-yard touchdown. And so I'm pleading and begging for the same thing. Um, and on the personal note, that, that guy gives so much to the community. I've been at, um, involved in NFL Play 60 as well as um, the women of Washington and, and a lot of things that they do as well. And he is everywhere. I think maybe there's five of him, and maybe they should be using all five in, in a better way. <laughs> <laughs> but that I have to absolutely 100% agree with you. I'm, I'm a little bit worn on watching Darrell Young come in and do a one-yarder and walk off the field. I'm sure he is, too. Okay. Nick, what do you got for Kelly? Well, you mentioned uh, the guy we lost out of the backfield, Roy Hulu, who was a yeah. major part in the passing game. Uh, do you think in Oakland he's easily the number two running back over Trent Richardson and possibly the number one if Latavius Murray were to struggle over there? Do you think he's got um, the talent to be uh, I, a I lead back? My, and this is purely um, a gut feeling on this Trent Richardson situation. Sometimes you just have a lot in life to overcome. And I think that Roy Hulu, in terms of the trajectory of his career, could certainly make a case for him himself starting it there. Um, so that's my opinion on Trent Richardson versus Roy Lutrier. <laughs> I, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that um, Roy Hulu, um has all the characteristics, all the ability, and also the career tra- trajectory at this point, um, being seasoned and experienced and ready to be, ready to contribute more. Um, it might just be further along in the learning curve. Okay. Uh, any, any more questions there, Nick, on the running backs? Um, not on the running backs, I don't think. Okay. Well, Kelly, who's officially the wide receiver three on this roster right now? Well, you know, if anybody was to look at it, nobody really does that. And I mean, when you're looking at the off season, last year was pretty. Um, you know, it was, it was, I called it. Uh, it was a house of cards because originally Pierre Garçon and Andre Roberts were, you know, where they were, and then Deshaun Jackson became available, and that, that took the house of cards, and it all fell down. Um, and it started to be rebuilt with um, Deshaun and Pierre. Um, does Andre want that? Absolutely. Andre really wants to be two. Um, you know, he he really would like to be one, but that um, situation is going to be very interesting. I actually have a personal favorite, and you guys might have noticed he was um, on our team last year, and I think he vies for it as well when they brought him back. It's Rashad Ross, the Rocket. So what do you think, Nick? Uh, I don't know a lot about Ross. I did want to ask you about Ryan Grant, though. It seemed like he was the only rookie receiver in the league last year that didn't come in and have a big year. Uh, do you see yeah. any improvement for him over his seven catches over last year? Right. I, I watched him in the preseason. I watched him have one of you know, we all got very excited as a fan base um, about Ryan Grant. I actually have him um, below um, Rashad Ross and 
side by side with Jerry Rice Jr. Uh, Jerry Rice Jr. Um, they have a, he's, he's a real favorite, and when you can get that favoritism, uh, no matter what it is in job in a, in a job environment, if you get that favoritism and you have those kind of genes and you don't get injured, um, I'd like to leave him you know in a dead heat with Ryan Grant and below Rashad Ross um, at this point, just because I feel like uh, Ryan Grant fell off. You know, in his production, he also fell off in the eyes of the coaches. So he's going to have to rebuild, and I know that he's going to put in the work because I saw him at training camp last year. I know Jerry Rice Jr. is going to put in the work. Um, And so it could be very, um, very, very competitive. I am glad to see because one of the things that really put a knife in my heart last year was, and and bringing on a new coach, it shocked me too, to carry seven wide receivers on your roster when we had so many other needs. Yeah, good. Very good point there. Um, what about the the tight ends? You got you guys have a couple tight ends that can actually really help in the passing game in Niles Paul and Jordan Reed. But you know, we are a, a fantasy podcast by trade here. Do those two guys, if they're both healthy, do they kind of cancel each other out fantasy wise because they're taking targets from each other? What do you think? Um, and I and I'm going to be up front with you guys, being not a fantasy player myself, but being aware of of fantasy and how the points work and and all of that. Um, and I have to say uh, emphatically, no, they do not. Only in my opinion, for these reasons. Um, Niles Paul, um, his career trajectory, as I've watched him come up from um, being such a contributor um, in special teams, has really soared. Um, in terms of his tight end position, and just become a beast of a player. Um, sometimes, when, like our 2012 season, when everyone was saying they're playing beyond their ability, they were playing to um, to characteristics that nobody had seen before, to abilities that no one had seen happen. It was a very special time, and I do believe that's happening for Niles Paul. He's put in the work. He's getting the notoriety. He's getting the, the notations by the coaches. And he's doing everything possible to really secure that tight end position. I don't disagree with you that two tight ends are needed, and I really enjoy the tight end position and watching what we can do with it. But what's going on with Jordan Reed is we are seeing consistently since he's come on board that um, even though he has the frame for it, even though he has the smarts for it, we're not seeing him on the field. And you got to be on the field to play ball. And I, I do don't believe they canceled them, each other out for that reason. Um, Jordan needs and, and fantasy needs people playing. Yeah, most definitely. Nick, any thoughts there? So it sounds to me like you like Niles Paul more than Jordan Reed. Do you think he'll be the starter over Reed this year? Um, I, I there's a couple factors. Um, I would think that there's an, is an edge, and I wouldn't say, Nick, that it's a large edge because Jordan is very much respected by the team. Um, Jordan's got to stay healthy. Jordan's got to show the same type of production and kind of be in the same, like a head-to-head running race, you know, with, with Niles. Um, and Niles can definitely edge him out of, of starting in that position. Um, what's going on, interesting, I find, and after having a conversation with um, Ernest Beiner in writing the article about um, – his experience, I got this from him, that over time um, the offense, including tight ends, running backs, have become much more of a specialized and individualized position. Um, back in the day, it was get in there, do what you need to do, and you, you're in there for, you know, 25, 30 carries, and that's what we're used to seeing. Now we're seeing specialties where you're, you're getting a lot of rest. You're not even getting, not getting the reps. 
on the defensive side of the ball, you're seeing more of a utility player, and they're having to move around. They're having to shift. They're having to say, okay, well, you can play this position, but you can play that position, and we're going to have you do this and that. So it's a little bit of a shift for me in terms of watching the game over the years, and I think that's what we're looking at with Niles Paul and Jordan Reed. We'll probably see both of them, um, and that's saying that both of them stay healthy. Well, you know, we've seen two offense, two tight ends and one offense, like Kobe Fleener and Dwayne Allen. We've seen them both, mm-hmm. yes. both prosper. And I think I posed the same type of question to uh, to your fan reporter there, uh, Julie, for the Colts, and, and she she kind of kind of said the same type of thing. You know, you use them both, and that's that's basically your advantage. Well, let's let's shift over to the defense. Can Keenan Robinson be be a hundred tackle guy annually? I kind of. Maybe not necessarily came out of nowhere, but I don't think anybody expected him to be as productive as he was last year. Well, I think what we saw was, um, and uh, my brain is just um, number fifty-eight. You know, who just retired and gave a lot of grief to the um, to the defensive coordinator. You know, London Fletcher. Fletcher. Thank you. I I was like, I wrote it down, and I was like. Where is that? So I reference this for this reason. London Fletcher gave gave um, notes on saying that he did a um, and he really focused on mentoring Perry Riley. He focused on that mentoring Perry Riley. What came out of last year was a pure tenacity, athleticism, and just I call it just pure beast behavior of Keenan Robinson. And I've actually met him several times at different functions, and I have to tell you, kids call all over the guy. He is about the most affable, fun, playing, um, fun guy you'll be around. So when someone can turn it on and off like that and, and produce the way he did, I have to tell you it's because the man has all the characteristics you're looking for in, in a, a football player that's ready to contribute. And I think that's the difference between Keenan and, and Perry. Perry may still be missing some of the um, the automatics that Keenan has already. Um, when, you go, when you get on the football field and you, you don't have to think as much, I mean, people overuse that statement, but it, it, it can't be overused in my opinion. When you get to do something and it's automatic, and Keenan's in that mode now. And that's what we saw last year. Um, I, I liken your the answer to is the sun going to come up every day? Um, can he get a hundred tackles every year? The sun's going to come up every day, but some days you're not going to see it. So I think um, with the impact, and we're going to get to this a little bit later in our conversation, um, the off-season um, acquisitions of the Washington Redskins um, are definitely going to impact how many tackles you know he has because we've got some real beast ballers coming on board that we did not have before. And so two things will play into it. One, you know, does he get injured? Two, um, do we have other players that we've acquired in the off season that are going to be getting those, those numbers, those tackles, and taking some away from him? So I think those are some of the things that play into whether or not he gets 100 again. But not for lack of effort. <laughs> Certainly not, no. Um, what, what about uh, um, Ryan Kerrigan? I mean, him and Perry Riley – you know, Perry Riley, like you said, you know, has kind of been under the radar. But can can these guys continue to grow to even better players? We saw, what, 14 sacks out of Kerrigan last year. Yes. You know, Riley is is is, is, is a, another another nice piece. You know, 90 tackles last year, 92 tackles. Not a, he holds his own. What, what are your thoughts there? I, I happen to think that, you know, again, you know, we can always say, we can say the, the I word, 
you know, barring any of the injuries, um, uh, you know, I think that these two gentlemen have are going to have some of the most impactful careers that will look like quietly they're they're like oh we'll, you have to look over there and say what are they doing because um, you're not going to be noticing it until the numbers are there that kind of career um, they're going to be whoa um, and I think what it's just about a matter of the way both of them go to work um, I still think. Carrie's, again, like I said a few minutes ago, not as automatic. I think Ryan's learning curve has come to him and gotten literally, and I teach yoga, so when you get to the point where it's an automatic movement for you and you don't think about it, production's better for you. Um, but I do believe that both of them will uh, have very, very good years. And, and and I also say that the additions that we made in the in the offseason um will raise the level of their play. Because we've gotten some, some wonderful acquisitions. Uh, well, you know, the first, your, your high pick last year, Trent, Trent Murphy, suffered the broken yes. hand last year. Yes. Uh, but it still, yeah. still has some decent contributions. So you look at him, 24. Yeah. Perry Riley, Kerrigan are both 26. Robinson, they're talking about 25. That is, right. that, I mean, they have enough, and they right now they have enough Experience, like I always like to say, is to be dangerous. You know, they have experience, and now they can really just build on that and become better. So that's that's a pretty pretty nice considering you have that that nice. These guys can maybe grow together, kind of that even age level across the board, and they can maybe grow together. Um, Nick, any, any thoughts there on the the IDP is there for Washington? Well, uh, linebacker has been one of about ten positions the Redskins have been linked to as far as that number five overall pick. Uh, do you think that's more of an indictment of Trent them not being disappointed disappointed in Trent Murphy, or just uh, just because there's that much talent at linebacker available in the draft? There's uh, and I go back to Scott McClellan, and there is just that much available, and and you know what's the best out there at the position, um, and maybe that's a mantra of his, but it also <clears throat> has spoken well to his experience in the past of who he's picked up. And, and are our needs there? Um, well, best available player at number five. I got to tell you, Nick. I think we're going to be surprised at who we pick. I think we're all going to be surprised. I don't know why I think that. Uh, I, I think there's something there's something happening um, that um, it may not may not go just that way. Uh, have you know? And you've noticed in the last four or five days, and this is indicative of draft. Um, that the quarterbacks that everyone has been raving about, um, uh, the better scouting gets you better better results, and the scouting has gotten better and it's gotten deeper and more inquisitive over the years. So um, I'm looking at quarterbacks, you know, dropping, um, dropping in the draft. Um, it's not to say that uh, we won't go D at number five. Um, I'm just not sold on that yet. Okay. I have a question well, for Nick, though. I have a question for Nick, sure. and that would be: So, are you so very happy with the season um, D in general? I mean, we're talking about from coaches all the way through, and the focus that there's been on that. Uh, yeah, I've I've liked the off season. You know, we didn't make the huge giant splashes. We didn't go after a guy like Tendamakan Sue. Instead, we got a guy who I feel is one of the best values in free agency, uh, Terrence Knighton. For uh, you know, one yeah. year, four million. Yeah, what, that's yeah. a great deal. So yeah, yeah I, I've been happy with the off season so far. 
I mean, were you happy to see our coach um, take another job? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was time for Hazlitt to go. It was time for Hazlitt to go. Um, and and you, I truly believe that it was true. I think that the time was up. Um, and I'd love to see – I'm a big proponent of the fact that defenses, uh, you know, the offenses score the points, but the defenses win the games, and the games won um, right in there in the trenches. And I think we need to make our all of our moves um, building up the foundation of our team. That's kind of where I come from, so – And and I like the uh, the off season moves. Like Dick said, they didn't make the big splash. They didn't put all their you know all their quarters in one corner. What what they they did the smaller ones like Knight and and I even think you're going to see some nice things out of uh, Francois the tight Jean Francois yes. the, the excuse me the defensive end uh, mm-hmm. who, who's a big guy that could really hold things down and he hasn't had a whole lot of you know success and it's kind of hard to judge those D linemen because they don't make the big tackles. They don't have the gaudy stats. But I think you're going to see him step up and play play a bigger role for this team than he maybe has in the future, or has in the past, excuse me. So uh, real quick here, we've got a couple minutes. What do you, what do you think about the, the draft? As I know we already, already went in there, and, and the free agency period we've touched on too, but maybe beyond the, the surprise we're going to see from them in the first round. What do you think about the, the draft here? The draft in general, um, I think the Redskins have done this since Scott came on board, and this is my what I feel has framed our, our offseason. They're this time um, putting football people doing football business, and I've tweeted that out several times, and that their Redskins are focused on valuing productive, available, and reasonably priced players that are hungry. And you know when you're hungry, and I know when I'm hungry, I'm going to do whatever I can to get fed. I mean, I'm going to make that happen. So... I just believe the Redskins saw, saw so many so many needs um, and so many plates that needed to be filled that they decided that the best way to frame the off season was to go after and to value not the splash, um, but making sure that everything got fed to the best available player at the most reasonable price they could get it. So there was still, you know, we've been hurt in the past couple of years with the penalties that we had. And, and not being able to get players. But I think that in the mentality that we previously held before uh, learning our lesson, which I hope we have, uh, we would have not spent that money wisely again and again. So it, it, now that I see in this offseason that we are spending our money wisely, we are looking at and um, have obtained players that are hungry. We've obtained players that are at a reasonable cost um, for a short term. And that we've uh, obtained players that, are excited, but they almost look like uh, second second chances. I've looked at every one of their um, their records, but most of them, um, except for a couple of two, I want to talk about the um, the alignment we got the young ones. Um, they are you know looking for second chances to make that first impression, and I think that's the kind of team you can build a Super Bowl team on. Okay, Nick, any any thoughts there? Well, for me, the best case scenario for that number five overall pick would be for us to be able to trade down. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Yes, I think we're going to see some some more room shenanigans um, that we will be happy with. What do you think of the two um, uh, the O linemen? What do you think of Ty um, Nesky? Um, he's six foot eight and three hundred twenty five pounds. What do you think of that business? Uh, I prefer Sheriff if we can trade down maybe the tenth overall slot somewhere around there and get him. 
Okay, and we also picked up an O-lineman, um, Tyler Lawson, undrafted free agent. He's only 23 years old, six foot four, three fifteen. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, anybody that can come in and provide some depth and hopefully compete and knock Chester out of his starting job yeah. there, right guard. That, that would definitely end a right tackle, of course, we need to. What did you think of the re-signings in the offseason? I know that wasn't one of y'all's questions, but I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I was curious in what you thought. You know, we, we didn't touch on Deshaun Golson, and I was really happy that we did acquire him. But in terms of just who we chose to re-sign at this point, which is very conservative, um, we brought back um, a running back, Michael Hill, who played for us the last, you know, three games of 14. Um, and we also re-signed Colt, and we re-signed um, Justin Rogers. What are your thoughts on who we decided to re-sign? And... Yeah, I liked all those re-signings. Colt McCoy definitely proved that he can come in and, you know, win a game or two here and there. Definitely shouldn't be a starting quarterback. But uh, and I believe uh, Niles Paul was also a free agent that we uh, re-signed. Yeah. I like keeping him in the fold. And I really liked uh, the fact that they redid uh, D'Angelo Hall's contract. So yeah. uh, yeah. we're not on the hook for any guaranteed money now. Give him a chance to come in and compete and hopefully earn his job back in training camp. Terrific. I can't wait to see him come back. I've sorely missed him, and I do think he's still a contributor. He may be in the twilight, but he doesn't think he is. So that's where it counts is what he thinks. <laughs> Do you think at all that they will um, completely say goodbye to Santana? Think it's over and done with? I think so. I mean, didn't he only have, I think, 10 catches last year? Yeah, right, catches. they used him sparingly. Yeah, they kept him for – That's again, that's why it irritated me to keep a roster spot when we really weren't utilizing it to the best of our ability. And I'm seeing that we are doing um, that in the off season. We're trying to use, get players to be able to use them. So Yeah, I mean I mean to keep okay. a receiver that's as old as he is, thirty five years old, that only yeah. had ten catches and doesn't really contribute on special teams, it just doesn't make sense. I'd like to see him as a coach. That's just my my off the topic comment. I'd like to see him as a coach. I think he has a lot to contribute. Okay. Well, thank you, Kelly, so much for joining us again. It's Kelly Patrice, NFLfemale.com. Go there and check them out. Those ladies have it going on. If you want to follow Kelly on Twitter, just click on her name and the write-up for this later today, and you can do that. All right, thank you, Kelly, and have a great day. You too, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. Okay, Nick, well, uh France. Let's get the questions from the forum here. Um, and I got some pretty pretty adamant feelings about some of these questions, so I'll try to keep it keep it down. Somebody offered Devontae Adams for the 1.9 rookie pick. Now this guy, the guy asking the question has the 1.9 rookie pick. Somebody offered him Devontae Adams um, for that pick. Feels like a reasonable offer to pay for him, but I but would you accept it for the roster? We start one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, and one flex that can be RB, wide receiver, RTE. Um, his roster is Big Ben, RG3, Bradford, Morris, Giovanni Bernard, Jonathan Stewart, Freeman Sproles, and D'Angelo Williams. His wide receivers are A.J. Green, Calvin Johnson, Andre Brown, or excuse me, Antonio Brown, Cordella Patterson, Pierre Garçon and Woods uh, and his tight ends are Fleener, Julius Thomas, and Antonio Gates. He also has picks 1.9, 1.2, and 1.3. Now, it seems to me, Nick, 
He doesn't need D. He's got AJG, Calvin, Antonio Brown. You don't need Devontae Adams. I don't care if you want to get younger. You don't need Devontae Adams, right? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the value is there. Devontae Adams for one nine, that's a pretty even trade. But like you said, he's got so many good receivers, it would be hard to even fit uh, Devontae Adams into a lineup. So, yeah, I would be trying to ship that 1.9 pick for another running back, like he mentioned. Yeah, I mean, Tevin Coleman's going to be there, possibly. Jay Ajay, Boise State, could be there, depending on the draft. You know, I you only have Morris. And Giovanni, you don't have a true number one. You know, you know Atlanta's going to add over and running back during the draft. They're just not going to start with just Freeman on that roster. So I, yeah, I would keep that pick and draft a running back. I, I you know, obviously you maybe planting a seed with Devontae Adams there for a little bit later on when you, you these guys get older. But I just don't think you trade that pick away. Uh, looking at my roster, you might argue that uh, running backs are are a bigger need, as he says. It, you know, with the advanced ages of, of, of some of them. But I could also use good wide receivers. Uh, I don't know. I can, you can never have enough good wide receivers is what he says. I don't know. I think you're fine for right now. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of receivers in this draft, too, if you want to draft a guy that's maybe going to have a little bit more opportunity uh, than Devontae Adams. That could potentially be there. And uh, in round two, I think that's, that is certainly the case. If you look at a guy like Tyler Lockett, Justin Hardy, Rashad Green. The landing spot's going to be huge for these guys. Uh, Vince Mayles, another guy at Washington State, I absolutely love. Those guys are going to be around in rounds two and three, so check that out. Um, currently own, another question here from the forum, currently own pick 1.1 and pick 1.7 in my rookie draft. Debating on taking a running back, then wide receiver, or wide receiver, then running back. Uh, based on the talent available, Nick, who, what would you do? Um, unless I was super desperate for a receiver, I would probably draft a running back with the number one pick and go receiver at number seven, just because I think uh, you're more likely to find a, a, a receiver later on that is going to contribute than you are to find a running back that's going to be a surefire contributor in his rookie year. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I love Tevin Coleman. Um, you know, it just, you got 1.1. Does it make any sense to you, Nick, that I – I put Gordon above Gurley, but I would more. I think I would take Gurley at 1.1 before I take Gordon at 1.1. That doesn't make any sense, but that's just how I feel. I, I, I don't get that statement. I feel like, you know, 1.1, you just can't screw up. And what, you know, and so maybe that, maybe I'm switching my grading around here, but I, I think, you know, it's got to, it's, it almost has to be sexy, but it has to be right. It has to be. That I mean I don't know I don't know I wish I had one point one I actually I don't I wish I had that pick but anyway I just look at wait to see who falls to me but uh, yeah I think both classes are loaded it's hard to make that pick for the first round pick I think obviously landing spot if you can wait till after the draft is going to be huge um, I, I think Cooper is going to be the best of all of these rookies for at least first couple of years if you really want somebody that's going to contribute. So I would I would do that 1.1. What about you, Nick? If you had to pick one yeah. player to take 1.1. 1. 1. I, I would probably go Gurley 1.1, 1. 1, unless I really needed the receiver, and then I would go with Cooper. 
but I just feel like there's so many receivers that come in and contribute now as a rookie, where with running backs, you got the running back by committee situations you need to worry about. Usually you have fewer running backs these day, this day and age that can come in and make an impact right away fantasy-wise. Okay. And, again, landing spot, landing spot, landing spot. That is huge. Uh, last question here. Uh, oh, Give up Big Ben and Paul Poslowski. Get Peyton Manning and Jamie Collins. The league scores RBs like running backs. Collins averaged 8.9 – points per game last year, where Poslowski averaged 17.9. Uh, what are your thoughts? My only quality quarterbacks are Russell Wilson and Big Ben. Uh, I I just don't think you move Big Ben for Peyton. You know Big Ben's got three, maybe four productive years left. I mean, let's face it, Manning doesn't have more than one year left. You're gaining maybe a little bit of an edge in linebacker there, but I, I just don't like I don't think you could trade for Peyton Manning at this point, right? Yeah, I agree with you. The only way you're doing this is if you're truly going all in for this year and, you know, you figure you got Russell Wilson to get you through the playoff stretch after Peyton Manning sated because he's going to, he has the last two years, he's probably going to again this year. So, yeah, it's it's a one-year win, win or bust trade, definitely. Okay. Uh, well, let's get to the Dallas Cowboys there, Nick. Um I know you're going to be thrilled about that, but uh, what a, what are some of your thoughts here on the Cowboys and kind of their their off season moves um, moving forward here? What, what do you, what do you think about what they do and what what they should be doing in the draft? Let's go a little bit backwards with them here. Uh, well, they've got the number 27 overall pick, so it's tough to say who's still going to be there. You could, they're probably going to look at a running back, cornerback, maybe help along the front seven. I think if Gurley or Melvin Gordon is still there, then that's definitely who they would. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. If one of those guys is still there, um, you know, they they need a lot of a lot of different pieces. They don't have a lot of gaping holes, but I think just a lot of little pieces can certainly help shore some things up there. Um, yeah, I guess we can roll right into Darren. Is Darren McFadden is the Darren McFadden insurance slash handcuff already on the Cowboys roster? They did re-sign Lance Dunbar today, Nick. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like if there's a running one of those guys is there, I think they do it. But I also think there's you know a chance with a guy like David Cobb, Jeremy Lankford, Tevin Coleman. If you didn't know, I'm slowly becoming the president of the Tevin Coleman fan club. But there's a, I mean, Coleman's going to be there in the Texans if they want to go that route. Amir um, Abdullah, I, I, you know, they have the bigger back in McFadden. I think they can maybe settle for a smaller compliment guy, um, like you know, like a guy that can contribute catching the ball, like a Langford. Uh, or Duke Johnson. I think they can maybe settle for that in the second round. Uh, any any thoughts there? I, I mean, I mean, maybe we already answered the question here about McFadden insurance. But what do you think? Yeah, you know, you look at Lance Dunbar. He's only five eight, under two hundred pounds, so he's probably not like an every down back in case McFadden were to get hurt again. Uh, I believe they still have Joseph Randall too. Uh, you know, he's talented. He averaged six point seven yards per carry, but just keeps. keeps seems to keep getting into trouble. You know, he had the shoplifting thing last year, and then he had another incident this February where he was initially charged with marijuana. Those charges were dropped, but still raises some red flags. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were to uh, go after a running back in the mid-rounds if they opted not to take one in the first round. 
Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, moving on down the questions here, do we believe in the young tight end, Gavin Escobar? We've seen this team draft tight ends, and obviously Jason Witten there, and they and they kind of let him let him go astray. You know, Martellus Bennett being the ultimate example. Do we believe in Gavin es- Escobar? And is there is there a place for him in this offense moving forward? Well, you look at him so far, he's had nine catches each of his first two seasons. He was a second-round pick back in 2013. Got a good size, 6'6 and 260. And he's talented, yes, but other than a Jason Witten handcuff, he, I don't think he's fantasy relevant. You know, he's a tight end number two behind Witten, who hasn't missed a start since he missed one in 2006. Uh, the team's got Des Bryant, Terrence Williams, even Cole Beasley. So at best, Escobar is Romo's option number five. You know, just because a player is young and talented behind an aging veteran doesn't mean the numbers are going to follow, just like a Darius Green last year in San Diego. Ah, uh, good example. Yes. Um, yeah. You just you don't know. Not until Witten is gone, then is it okay? I think to draft him because obviously if Witten's there or not there or hurt, we know. I think they believe it. The Cowboys believe that he can fill that role when it's all when it's all said and done there with Witten. Uh, but you also don't know, you know, how long Tony Romo is going to be there. He's getting up there in age two, so there could be some changes there in the next couple of years. But I do kind of have this feeling that they're going to maybe go all in this year. So I think possibly using Escobar a little bit more this year could could be beneficial if they want to keep Witten healthy. You know, if for 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 a playoff run. Um, but moving, but we 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 just don't know. Like like I said, with the age and whatnot, that's. Uh, We'll see. We'll see how that works out. But um, moving forward here, Nick, uh, what do we think of with Romo's age? Should dynasty owners of Romo be grabbing his backup quarterback late in drafts this year? What do you think? Yes or no? Um, unless it's a uh, Hundley, Petty, or Grayson, or maybe Sean Mannion, then no. I think they're going to stick with Brandon Whedon as the backup. You know, it's a pretty weak quarterback class. I think Dallas is going to use their early picks to nab guys that can contribute this year, not a backup quarterback. Yeah, uh, certainly certainly don't want to draft uh, Brandon Wheaton, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know if they it, – it, it is a weak class, uh, and I, I don't think they would go, you know, unless there's a total blue chip, you know, a, a Christian Hackenberg next year, possibly. But I don't think this team is going to have a high pick next year. Is Demarcus Lawrence a legitimate IDP option for this defense that's fully healthy, Nick? What do you think? Well, right now, uh, DFW has him ranked number 31. I think that's a little bit too high, especially with Greg Hardy's arrival. He flashed in the playoffs last year, two sacks and a forced fumble in the two playoff games. He's real talented, but we really didn't see it much in the regular season. Played in seven games, only had nine tackles. He was hurt earlier in the year. Um, I think he gets a bump in sack-heavy leagues, but I personally wouldn't want him as a starter yet in standard IDP leagues. Uh, yeah, he's a guy that I think if you have him, I would maybe hold on to him because you you don't know what he's going to blossom into or what kind of uh, what kind of role they have for him moving forward. But I'm not going to certainly move move things around to to add him to my roster. Um, any any other thoughts there on the Dallas defense here? Um, well, they were better last year than they were the year before when they were historically bad. But I'm still not real high on them. 
Yeah, they certainly have a lot of uh, a lot of questions to answer there, and a lot of little pieces I think to fill out to to maybe solidify themselves moving forward and being being you know better down the road. Certainly, um, if they want to, I think if they want to go deeper in the playoffs, that things you can't have can't have Barry Church making making a hundred tackles again because that's just that's just just a bad sign all around for your team. I think if that's the case, so if you got a safety making that many tackles. Um, well, that's all we really have for you today. Um, well, like I said, next week we're going to have our pre-draft show with Eric Asilius and Sal Conti, and then um, we're going to have a handful of guests joining us probably during our draft night show as we come on towards the end of the first round. We've got that slated for 10 p.m. Eastern. So put on a pot of coffee. Don't drink beer during the draft. Put on a pot of coffee and stay up and listen to us. Uh, break it down as the first end, first round comes to a close well thank you for joining us uh nick any closing thoughts there don't you tell me not to drink beer (laughs) (laughs) uh well you know but anyway yeah uh enjoy and uh you you probably shouldn't drink beer next thursday night nick we don't want to be we don't want to be so out of it i mean when we're we're trying to do a show i mean come on uh yeah i'll I'll hold off until (laughs) well i you probably trust yourself more than I trust myself, so I think you'll be be all right. I will limit it to one beer, maybe a shot of espresso in that beer. I'll see how see how that thing works out there our way. Uh, but yeah, please join us next week. Another two podcast week next week, so we're looking forward to that. Have a great day and check us out. Make sure you go to DFW and check out the new membership stuff. We're really excited about what we're going to be able to offer you in the next coming month as we get ready for the NFL season. Hope you enjoyed the schedule re-release yesterday. Thank you and, and have a great day. guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.